This episode is brought to you by my wonderful patrons. I'd like to give special shout outs to my top tier patrons, David from Portland, Tom from Pancake Analytics, the Snorlaxian, Connor from Rock Pokemon, Mike, Night Knight, Hogan, Big No Face, and Matt from Ferraratron. I also can't forget today's episode was executive produced by Leo. Thank you so much for believing in me and backing the podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast and you'd like to support these episodes, become a patron. I have two tiers at $3 and $5 a month. Joining the first tier gives you exclusive access to patron posts and a vintage card from my collection signed by me. The $5 tier gives you access to everything you get in the $3 tier, along with also having access to our Discord community. It gives you the opportunity to talk to other collectors, discuss market performance and news, show off your mail days, and of course, ask questions. Whether you join or not though, I still appreciate you listening. Hello everyone and welcome to the Geeked Out Collecting Podcast where we apply financial and investing principles to our favorite hobby collectibles like Pokemon, Magic the Gathering, Fortnite, comic books, you name it, we go through it all. And today I have a very, very special guest. His name is Jeremy Padauer. If you haven't heard of him, he's a little bit of an OG when it comes to collecting. You talk about a massive, massive, massive collection and a huge collector. He's made a number of predictions on a number of different hobby sectors that have come to fruition. So you're talking about a very, very knowledgeable, amazing human being just partaking in a great conversation where he is teaching us his ways, teaching us the fundamentals of just collecting in general. Other than the fact you want to collect what you love, but also incorporating very pragmatic financial principles when it comes to assessing different franchises and whether or not you want to collect in it. So this was just such a great conversation because of course, you know, on this podcast, we talk about a lot of Pokemon. And yeah, we talked about Pokemon here, but we also spent some time in other hobby sectors and the conversation, even if you don't collect those particular hobbies, the conversation applies still to Pokemon. So, and just anything else, any any other venture that 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 you're collecting in, and then also you know having a little bit of in, the intention to also invest. So, anyways, there are so many gems in here. I wish I could have had him on for longer because I'm sure we were we could have easily talked for hours, and it would have been an amazing show regardless. But thank you so much for being here, and welcome, Jeremy. absolutely well uh, to get started um i don't know i i know that there are a number of followers of mine that do know you but for those who don't do you mind giving your origin as a collector yeah Yeah, of course so um my name is jeremy padauer and i am a collector and i'm a toy maker so for the last 20 years i've been in the toy industry and i started as a brand manager at mattel and then I, over the course of time, became an executive at uh, Jack Specific, uh, and then one of the top executives there. And then about eight years ago, we started a, a new company called uh, Wicked Cool Toys, which got big pretty quickly, primarily because Pokemon granted us the Global Master Toy Program for Pokemon and invested in our organization. And then 
2019, we sold our company to a private equity firm called Allegheny Capital, um, which also was very associated with Jazzwares, another large toy company. And now combined, we're, we're the sixth largest toy company in the, in the world, Jazzwares. And uh, so professionally, I'm uh, on the leadership team at Jazzwares, which is an amazing toy company. And then personally, I'm a big time collector. I collect, you know, uh, primarily uh, memorabilia associated with trading card games um, like Pokemon. I, I've invested quite a bit, but I also invest in things like first edition books. Like I bought a Harry Potter book that was like a big time purchase recently. And, but essentially my, my belief in my, you know, what I look for are like brands that are like 20 to 30 years old where the consumers uh, were, you know, maybe this is the first generation of kids that have become adults and really love those brands because I see the greatest possible price increases in those types of things. And while I'm not only collecting because of price, because I've collected my whole life, um, I do add collecting into my portfolio of investments as an adult because I've got to invest in something. So I might as well it may as well be things that I love and that I fully understand. And, and hopefully that's about as elevator pitchy as I can get <laughs> about well, me. You know, that was really great. And you brought up so many things that I want to touch on. And, and honestly, when you first announced your purchase of Harry Potter, well, first off, it was a mystery, right? <laughs> um, and I didn't get the, you know, when you were posting your cosplay, your Snape cosplay, like I didn't make any connections whatsoever. All, in my mind, the only thing that I thought what you'd purchase was something in the Fortnite world because you had brought up Fortnite before. There yeah. were some, there were some sold listings for some, you know, black knights and whatnot. I'm like, oh, was it him? Was it him? <laughs> and even today, there's actually been several purchases today and yesterday in Fortnite that are huge. And I'm like, ooh, were any of these Jeremy? I'm gonna have to ask. <laughs> you no, know, fair question. And I actually received um a few texts this morning from other collectors basically saying, wow, are you seeing it's going well beyond uh, Black Knight. It's going into other key characters that are that are part of the, you know, Crystal Ice or our our Crystal Shard or whatever you want to call it category. And um, you know, I it wasn't me. <laughs> That's all you say. <laughs> like it's like that song. It's like that song. It wasn't me. But instead, but I actually mean it. <laughs> That, that's awesome. Um, I mean, it's been really interesting to see Fortnite and I have like, like my feelings on it are 50, 50, because I love to see the growth, but also no trading card game has seen this kind of growth. Like this is a little crazy. It makes me, you know, I know some of the uh, sales have been confirmed for the black Knight. I think the one that went for 30 K I think that one's been confirmed. So that's good, but I'm waiting on a few of the other ones. Cause a few of the two promo sets from the series one just sold yeah. for over 8,000, wow. like one for 8,000, one for 7,000, so, somewhere around there. But anyways, um, it just makes me a little nervous because I know there's a lot of short-term sellers that right. are kind of in that market too. So I know I have hesitation. <laughs> I'm, I'm skeptical, healthy skepticism. By the way, that's, <clears throat> that's a very solid way to live your life. Uh, <laughs> and someone, some, I was just talking to someone uh, this morning who didn't make an investment last night in something. And this morning it, it's gone up. So, and I said, look, I was like, 
95% of the time, taking a night and giving it some thought is going to be, is going to play to your best interest and, and play to your benefit. 5% of the time it won't, you know, is it really worth, is it really worth, you know, remembering the 5% as if it was, you know, everything. And, uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> You know, if you ever feel so strongly about something because you feel like you have insight, like you feel like you have some sort of unusually good insight, um, then you, you kind of have to go for it. I mean, honestly, I, I'm honestly not surprised that you say that because it seems like that's what you've done a lot. You know, you've always said that, or I've heard you say in many other interviews and in segments that you've always had this instinct. I mean, even back in the day when you had started buying, you know, online real estate with yeah. URLs, which yeah. was an amazing, that was a great, you know, around the corner look, but it made sense to you because it went back to your main principles, which I've tried to incorporate um, in myself because I feel like for some things I've just been really lucky and, and like, I didn't have any very, you know, knowledgeable inside around the corner kind of thing for a few things like the, like the promo cards for Fortnite. I was just like, these are really cool cards. I'm just going to wow. go ahead and get them graded. And most of them came out, came out to nines and tens. Right. So oh these cards are, are amazing. I might've been the second or third person to get them graded. So I'm like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. And, wow. and <laughs> I mean, seriously, that's, that's amazing. And, and I think what, what you, what you should embrace by this is that not only do you have the foresight, but you're, you're also brave because other people have foresight um, and other people actually do make, you know, purchases. The question is, how brave are you? Are you really going to be one of the first? And, and being one of the first at anything often means that there are other people that in light of what your activities are, actually look at you and go like, I don't know, that doesn't, that... <laughs> You have to, you also have to like be, you also have to feel like it's okay to be unpopular, mm -hmm. to be early. So I think, I think it's, it's foresight and then it's action. And then it's sort of bracing yourself for other people's feedback. And mm -hmm. if you're okay with all of that, like you're okay with it on, on Fortnite and it turned out great. By the way, I was okay with it on the, that Harry Potter purchase, the first edition, first print Harry Potter. I was also okay with it on the Pokemon PSA 10 set and various things like that. And trust me, there were more than one person that came to me and were like, you are nuts. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you spend that much on Pokemon? I hear it yeah. all the time. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and often, you know, people will come, why did you spend that much? Or why wouldn't you just give it to charity or something like that? Mm -hmm. And well, the yeah. answer is, the answer is, well, it's the same. It's the same thing with anything else that you do in life. Everything has its time. Everything has its moment giving should be part of your portfolio, part of the things that you do. Um, growth investing should be part of what you do. Um, investing in things that you love should be part of what you do. It's all part of it, but it's not like you do one and not the other. It's you, you do it all. You, you just, you're involved with all of it. So my answer always is like, yeah, you're right. And I'm doing that too. So I'm also buying bonds that literally have a 2% return on investment despite the fact that everything's blowing up and doing well. Like it's, it really is about that. But anyways, back to you, what you did was brave and you were willing to weather criticism. And because you did those two things, congratulations, you're, you know, you're at the front line of something and, and you'll be celebrated for it and you should be. 
Yeah, thank you. I, I really appreciate that. I, I never really expected it to happen, but it, it worked out very pleasantly because, you know, going back to what awesome. you were kind of like talking about and alluding to, it's it wasn't money that I needed to, you know, pay for bills or eat. It was like, okay, throw away money. I, I can't remember. The bundle was like 60 bucks or something. That's and honestly, <laughs> the returns, the returns are like, 3,200% for the galaxy alone. Oh my Just God. That one card. And, yeah. and how long, what was the return time? What was your investment pro um, horizon? Yeah, I, I would want to say about a year and a half. I can't remember when I, I guess from the, from the time that I actually bought it, which was probably sometime in July, 2019, sometime around there when it first launched. So almost two years at this point. So it's just, it's just really insane. I mean, um, I like, like what I was saying with the skepticism, you know, what other hobby has done those kinds of numbers. And I haven't even fully like emotionally worked through them in my, in my head, logically and emotionally, like, is this a bubble? Is this not like, I don't think it necessarily is a bubble yeah. right now. Are the numbers high? Will it plateau maybe this year, but well, I just haven't worked through it yet. Here's what I've recognized about Fortnite, okay? Because I, I recently did a video about Fortnite and what boxes have crystal shard and all that stuff. And um, here's what I've recognized. What I've recognized is it's it is a market that's still making sense of itself. Mm -hmm. Most people don't even know where to find those bonus cards. Most people don't even know. Whereas something like Pokemon is fully realized. Like people like people know where to go, what the population reports are. Like the 1999 set launched 21 years ago, you kind of have a good sense of how many PSA 10s are out there. All of that is fully realized. I think with Fortnite, what, what folks have really kind of come grasp recently is how rare some of these cards are, how difficult it is to receive some of these cards, um, how remarkably valuable some that can make certain things, and then where to find things. Like... Really, I will tell you, uh, I started buying some traditional booster boxes about, I don't know, three months ago or something like that. And I don't think any, I asked probably 20 different people where you, you know, can access some of these, you know, cracked ice or crystal shard or any of these key cards. No one knew. No one knew. Yeah. Even people that bought, they just didn't know. Yeah. So <laughs> whenever, you, whenever you're early to in a market that doesn't know itself yet or hasn't fully realized, those are very fair questions to ask because you don't know whether it's going to go up or down. But I think what you have now is a market that knows a lot more about itself. Consumers are a lot more savvy and knowledgeable. And now it really comes down to two years from now, when you look at the population report, if there's still, you know, two dozen uh, PSA 10 uh, cracked ice black knights, uh, I would be shocked if those cards hadn't skyrocketed in value. If there's right. 10,000 of them, then that would be a whole different story, but there won't be, there won't be mm -hmm. it's too rare. Yeah. Agreed. I, I've talked to other uh, collectors who also collect sports cards and they, you know, opened up hobby boxes and, and, you know, with baseball and football and stuff like that. And they said the pull rates are even harder Yes. for Fortnite than it was for those cards. So I, I can agree with you. I don't know. I, I 
the the populations will definitely move. I've seen in some Facebook groups there are some whales that own, you know, three yes. to five complete sets. I can confirm that. I can, I can, and let me just say this: while I won't name names, I can confirm that there are huge personalities, uh, big time players that are that are all over this right now. Um, wow. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's really cool because, uh, there's not been many voices out there. Your, your voice has probably been the biggest voice I've seen so far within my, my sphere that, that has talked about Fortnite. And I'm like, gosh, no one is talking about Fortnite. Even when I first came on to Instagram, I started out with Fortnite and then kind of pivoted to just in general, more Pokemon and all this stuff, because there was just no engagement back then. No one knew. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's, uh, but, but again, you know, look, it's just, it's all in the tea leaves, right? So now you see that, that you know, uh, my, the audience that I have on Instagram or anywhere is, is still pretty finite. You know, when, I, when I'm communicating with people, maybe I can communicate to 100,000 people or something to that effect. But, but and, and while that's a lot, and for a you know, business person that happens to be in the toy industry, it, it's a lot. But in the scheme of things, for like you know, for for some of the mega influencers and stuff like that, it it really is not a big audience. And so what I would say is that you're right again, and that as this finds its way to an even bigger audience, that'll be very interesting to see what happens to the mainstream consumer and what that does to the overall value. Mm-hmm. And, and while we were talking, like I looked up, uh, so these mega boxes um, that where you can find, sorry, these mega boxes where you can find the uh, the crystal shard version. Mm-hmm. Like, these were like, and this is the international box. And these were like, I don't know, like $250, like yeah. know, ago. And I think they're a thousand bucks. Like I'm seeing the latest sales at a thousand bucks. Yeah. And then I think there's another one that was for like 1500. I think that might've been the US. Right. And I just looked, by the way, and that item now, like the U.S. version, is like many days left in bidding, and it's like seventeen hundred with like already. Yeah. I can't even keep up. <laughs> I can't I even keep up with I, these numbers. Well. <laughs> the only way to keep up with it is to, um, whenever you talk about it, just kind of look it up. And it, and I like again, like I'm as we're talking, I'm looking in real time, and uh, it it is remarkable. Yeah, there's right now one day and six hours left. On a U.S. Mega Box Series One, seventeen hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. So that's. <laughs> but you know what, though, it. I guess it doesn't surprise me entirely based on the way this market's evolving. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you mean? Do you mean just in collectibles in general? No, Fortnite. So mm-hmm. collectibles in general, there's clearly been um, a huge influx of capital and and interest in the um, in in the collector space in the card space. There's no doubt about that. Mm-hmm, um, for sure. Fortnite specifically is like, you know, when you're like watching American Idol and that person, Kelly Clarkson steps on stage for the first time and you're like, whoa, how did everybody overlook that? Like, mm-hmm. that's impossible. There's no <laughs> way you overlook that voice. But yeah, you do. You do. Mm-hmm. you do. Because there's never been a platform. And now, you know, even though Fortnite's the biggest one of the biggest brands introduced to this generation of consumers, um, the card game and and the and the engagement with the cards was not high off the bat. It wasn't. It wasn't. 
And so, and so now I think that consumers understand that there is truly a collectible aspect and how rare and exactly what we said. So I think you have, yeah, collectability. There's a lot of interest in that. And then within very specifically the Fortnite brand, I think there's a, a very significant understanding that it's evolving and very quickly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's going to be really great to see in the next few years. And just thinking about the influence one person could have on it. If someone like Ninja all of a sudden, you know, has a huge collection and talks about it and whatnot, that'll be explosive. I know that, and, and this is just a theory on my part, but when it comes to like real mainstream, like, traction i feel like fortnite would need to have more players involved into it because there are a lot of collectors i know including myself that have never played the game but have found it to be really interesting went ahead and collected it kind of you know just placed our bets on it and yeah. um well, it's it's, smart. It's really, <laughs> listen, no it's it's really really smart and you know here's the thing about the game uh it is um it's like anything else in life you know, either you're intuitively good at it and sort of innately good at it or not. And if you're not, then you have to build up that skill set. And I will tell you, I've played Fortnite uh, hundreds of times and I have, I think, two kills ever. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, and so when you're that bad at something, it doesn't, in, it doesn't entirely reinforce your, your, your play pattern. <laughs> yeah, I like the best case scenario for me on Fortnite is running around and hiding. And then and then at some point in time as the circle gets closer and closer, I'm mm -hmm. I'm like lunch for somebody. I'm just like they're like mm, delicious. They just <laughs> That's so funny. See, I feel like that's why I've stayed away from the game because you since since I was a kid, I played video games, right? So, you know, I used to kill it in Halo Combat Evolved cool. on computer. Like I didn't have an Xbox. I had a computer and I would play on there and I would kill it, right? But <laughs> my ego, like moving into Fortnite, there would be a learning curve for me because I'd never played it before. You know, I mean, first person shooter is a first person shooter, but right. I don't want my I'm I'm just I have a weak ego and I don't want to just die, 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 die. <laughs> Cause I know I, that'll happen. <laughs> well, just remember this. Here's what I would say to you. Just remember how much success you've had in the card game of Fortnite and go out there and get yourself killed a few times in the uh, video game. <laughs> <laughs> it won't like, hurt. It's okay, everybody. I'm going to Like I got, <laughs> I got you. You know, for, you know, Fortnite is one of the brands that we make toys for globally. So we're the mm -hmm. master partner yeah. for Fortnite. And, um, and it's just been, it's been really pleasure. It's just been a big pleasure to be a part of that and to watch that evolve. And it sure doesn't seem to be going anywhere. It just seems to be like, you know, year to year, as big as it is, it just, it, it's, it, it's still like doing a number and and mm -hmm. really, and they they evolve they their new chapters and everything else that they have you know gives consumers a whole new reason to experience Fortnite. yeah I, i've really liked the engagement factor and the events that they do i can't remember what it i can't remember what season it was where they did the shutdown of the game and there was this yeah. whole cinematic for it i thought that was that was really cool so i i like what they do from that perspective and because you do actually 
create the toys from, you make the toys from. Um, I know you've mentioned that you try to bring in aspects of collectability into your toy making. Uh, what have you been doing for Fortnite? You know, it's a, that I will say that that's a very good that's a very good question because in terms of Fortnite, there wasn't a tremendous amount of developing product with like secondary market value in mind, mm -hmm. um, like the way we do in some of the other brands with chasers and things like that. But I think I think really because it it happened so fast, right? You, we we there was a launch in. October and by January it was like the biggest brand ever. Um, that I think that that you'll see that those are strategies that we that we have in the line go forward where there'll be, you know, we don't want to make things too rare that makes it impossible for someone to get, but we do want to we do want to make sure that we establish some secondary market collector value for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I can only imagine how difficult it could be to balance those two things, but. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think, I think it's awesome that you, that you're doing that and at least keeping that in mind for the future. Oh, for so, sure. for yeah, sure. I mean, every, I'll, every toy brand has a tremendous number of collectors with the, that collector sensibility, you know, mm -hmm. and that, that sensibility is, you know, I want to play, but I also want to display. And uh, the display is where you often find that same personality type that they want to display because it is a conversation piece, but it's also you know, in some ways, an investment or part of their overall collectible portfolio of investing. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny that you say, well, I mean, it's not funny because you did say it, but um, one thing that I read with one of your articles when you were talking about, um, you know, your looks to the future, what things you think will do big, literally right in the beginning of the article, you said three things. You said collectibles are art, collectibles reflect culture. I might have phrased that incorrectly, yeah. but then also collectibles are a, a form of self-expression, yeah. which, you know, when when I read that, I was like, wow, that makes so much sense because it explains and it goes back to what you've said before is you, when you look at a collectible sector, I guess you could say, you know, a brand, you look to find what's the most popular. And then the second thing you do is try to figure out what's most popular. And those and those three questions are kind of the only I mean, obviously, there's little facets of those answers and those questions. But I mean, those are the only reason that it, it has a cultural impact. It reflects upon a culture. And then that person, that collector can also express themselves because they have like a nostalgic connection or they have a very fond memory of those things and they hang it on the wall or they, That's, you know, they post it on Instagram. It's a hundred percent right. And, uh, you know, it, it really does come down to, especially if you're collecting for, some sort of secondary market value. It, it comes down to, you know, how emotionally connected are you and are people in general to this particular brand? Um, the second thing is um, how aspirational is the brand? Because mm -hmm. if it's not aspirational, it's more difficult for one to want to show that they're part of it. Like, you know, there are plenty of brands out there that people watch and they're emotionally connected to but they're, they're not aspirational in quality. Mm -hmm. um, and then the third element to all of that would really uh, have to do with um, sort of the, 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 the collectible platform that it's built upon. Like, mm -hmm. are there things built into it that influence people who like to collect to collect deeper 
or to express themselves through things like super rares and various things like that. But yeah, it's the emotional involvement, the aspirational quality, and then the the, the collectible platform behind it. Mm-hmm. So, so then um, I'm just kind of curious, kind of pivoting away from Fortnite, but still pretty relevant, flesh and blood. Uh, I'm yeah. sure that you've been kind of paying a little... Yeah, I've got one. I've got one <laughs> under my squishmallow here. You'll see "Welcome to Wraith." So, oh, yeah. nice. Okay, <laughs> I was gonna ask if you got any, but that that's that's I amazing. I have one box, and and I'm gonna be completely honest with you. I don't know anything about <laughs> the brand, but what I know is I know I like it when I see people reacting. Mm-hmm. It's basically what it essentially what it is. Here's what it is, and this is again. I'll 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 put it in financial terms or investment terms. I'm essentially taking an option to on it to maybe be more involved later because I, because mm. because I've I've put something in on it. It's sitting on my shelf. I'm already a little emotionally invested in it. I'm a little bit financially invested in it. Mm-hmm. And if it takes off, I'm part of it, man. I'm part of the. <laughs> In. And all yeah. it's going to take is for me to learn how to play the game then. And I can be like, yo, back in the day when I picked up my box in 2020. That's so funny. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Is is your box first edition or? It is. Oh. Here, should I show it? Of it show yes, it? please. Let me, let me move my squish mallow out of the way. <laughs> yeah, this is the, this is a first edition Wraith box. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Cool. Yes. See, so I have a few of those. I think um, now I'm going to sound really silly. I can't remember which sets I have. I think I have that one, but just the unlimited versions. I don't have any of the first editions, but um, just because it's been hard to get access to it, it it's been so difficult. Um, I I had to buy it. I, um, I actually follow uh, Rudy from Alpha Investments on YouTube. Oh, cool. I'm a part of his Patreon. And so that's how I had the opportunity to buy it. I've had no other opportunity to buy it elsewhere. So now wait a second. I don't even follow this person. So tell me what to do. What do I do? So youtube.com and uh, uh, you can type in Ruby at Ruby. Sorry, Rudy. Uh, Rudy Alpha Investments. Got it. Oh, interesting. You know what? I'm going to follow them on Instagram. And you know what's interesting? Mm-hmm. They've never posted and they have 1,200 followers. I find that <laughs> fascinating. He's got a strong following. He's really amazing because several years ago I found him and he is, he used to be a financial professional okay. and then he left the finance world because he's like, I'm, I'm sick of it. I'm over it. Let me apply all of these principles to Magic the Gathering. So he opened up his own local um, LGS oh, and- and, and he has insane positions in many, many facets of Magic the Gathering, um, Flesh and Blood, Pokemon. He's got an insane collection, but he's really interesting because he was the first person that, that taught me that these collectibles aren't just cutie little things. They are asset classes. <laughs> They're physical no asset classes. Question. Wow. It sounds like I have a lot in common with this guy. Yeah, he's, I, he's I great. Definitely need to get in touch. Mm-hmm. With, with him and but you know what's cool mm-hmm. what's cool is that you whenever you have a new asset class you have basically people who have for whatever reason you know earned their place in the dialogue 
as to why this asset class exists. Mm -hmm. And um, so it sounds like, you know, Rudy is another person because of their financial background and because they, they, you know, put their money where their mouth is and probably because he's very entertaining. I'm, I'm like, look, he is. Sort of wearing all kinds of hats. <laughs> you know, that, that, that that's all part of being um, in the zeitgeist for collectability. Mm -hmm. um, so very cool. And, and, you know, if you look back five years ago, I don't think you'd really find too many personalities in this space. You know, no. yeah, it was, more, it was more like, you know, um, I don't know. It's so weird. I'll, I'll just tell you a quick story. So 20 years ago, when I started working at Mattel, um, at that time, but because I had had a bit of an internet background before, like one of the things I really desired was to reach out to the collector community. And the collector community, even though the collector community made up a pretty meaningful percentage of like, he-Man and the Masters Universe sale or Street Sharks or any of that stuff that was going on back then. Um, it, they were really secondary in terms of who you were reaching out to in your communication. Like we would do toy spots, commercial toy spots. We really didn't do anything from a toy standpoint to differentiate or to reach out to the collector or the collector consumer. And the way they were considered or portrayed was like fanboys, fangirls, nerds etc <laughs> yeah <laughs> and 20 years later uh, you know at mattel and everywhere else we definitively see the consumer as like a mainstream consumer so mm -hmm. it's definitely it's definitely taken a lot of time though for the entire industry to evolve to recognize like the pecking order is very much includes the adult collector um and it doesn't surprise me that things like media have taken quite a bit of time to follow, mm -hmm. to, you know, to follow and to have identifiable known people who are commentators in this, in this world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes so much sense because even if you, um, you know, when you find old, old, you know, Magic the Gathering or Pokemon forums where they have like the kings of that space where they're yeah. answering all the questions. They're, they're the go-to guys for all the information because they are the subject matter experts. Yeah. I mean, that was the place for that versus it being very mainstream. It seemed real geeky and nerdy and like, oh, you know, just people in their basements, <laughs> you yeah. know, with all these collectibles. So yeah, I, I can understand that. I think, I mean, I think we would both agree that the internet has done a number of wonderful things. And it always seemed to me that that access and then education absolutely affect markets in this way. When, when a market finally realizes a thing is rare, and, and this can kind of segue into uh, conversations I've been having with everyone regarding shadowless cards. Yes. Um, <laughs> um, oh, I, I like, I like where you're going with this. Go ahead. Keep going. Very okay. interesting. <laughs> well, my thought is, is it completely blows my mind that shadowless cards aren't worth more than first edition cards, surely because of their rarity. Um, and so I, I feel like when it comes to education and people understanding right now, we have so many new people coming in and then people who used to be in that are coming in now and they might yeah. have the same level of knowledge. Everyone goes to the first edition base set cards, which is great. I love yeah. first edition cards. I mean, I love Watsy cards, um, but not many people look at Shadowless and Shadowless was printed to 10% 
of the unlimited printing, right? So, yeah. so ten percent of that. Well, that's already small to begin with. <laughs> so, so, so I'll give you a little bit of insight, okay? Mm -hmm. And maybe this is like maybe this is like truly insight. I don't know, but I, I've got I've got several friends that were at Wizard that uh, that were that were Wizards of the Coast at that time, mm -hmm. and here's the truth behind the Shadowless cards. Ooh. You ready for like <laughs> groundbreaking information that I've never yes. even revealed? They're flat out error cards, flat out. <laughs> yeah, they're just a complete screw up. They essentially wow. what you have is there was the the intentionality was mm -hmm. to go from first edition to unlimited, and for whatever reason, and it may have been um, due to uh, I don't know availability of get you know switching over to the new uh print run i don't know what it was i don't know what it was but there was never an intentionality to have three different sets it was either a placeholder or it was a complete screw up and the available number of units is probably lower than people even imagine mm -hmm. so here's here's the truth the truth is i've often wondered the exact same thing <laughs> exactly what you've expressed I've often asked myself, why aren't the shadowless cards worth more? And here's what I here's what I suspect will happen. Okay, the first edition high grade PSA ten cards are not really moving very much in terms of the population report. Mm -hmm. It yeah. is not. Maybe over the next ten years, maybe you'll see a five percent increase. Maybe you'll see a ten percent increase. Like it's just it's very low. The last two years, it's been like one or two percent. Period. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Shadowless. And that makes sense. And it makes sense. And I think Shadowless is going to be much the same. And and Shadowless will probably forever have a lower population report. So here's my theory. My working theory is that you happen to be, again, very intuitive, and you happen to be sort of at the forefront of these thoughts, but that other people are going to be following you in terms of this thought process. Mm-hmm. I've been communicating to people to invest in shadowless uh, cards because I think that's there's there's this huge delta of valuation differential. I mean, a first edition shadowless box sold for eighty thousand dollars. A first edition, first edition. Uh, sorry, a first edition. That let me start over. A, a <laughs> shadowless box. Forget first edition. A shadowless box recently sold for eighty thousand dollars. In that same auction, a first edition box sold for over $400,000 with buyer's premium. That 5X differential is only due to the emotional connection that people have to the first edition. It has nothing to do with the, the inherent value due to scarcity. Mm -hmm. So whenever you see something that's going on purely because of the emotional connectedness, it's not a necessarily a pragmatic decision. You're looking at this and you're saying, there's something pragmatic here. There's way fewer of these, and there's way, there's, there's fewer of these, there's more of these, and there's a giant gulf in valuation. So I think you're right. I think when you look back on this in a few, a few years, you're going to go, wow, I was right. And, uh, and I have a feeling that um, if you do invest in your, if you invest into your intuition, 
I think that you'll probably do quite well, although there's no promises, but I think you'll do <laughs> I, I do hope so. My, for as much as I've been kind of talking about shadowless with everybody, yeah. um, I don't invest in it enough. I don't have enough shadowless cards. I really don't. And that's something that I need to do. It's la it's laughable, but you know, con considering, so, so I wanted to get your thoughts on the 1998 demo starter packs that came out even before the first printing. Um, it, they came out in, in 98 yeah. and they went to like LGSs. They went to, um, uh, like some magic tournaments, I think, and then also an E3 um, gathering in like early 1999, at least yeah. that I was when I was reading. I don't know how accurate that is, but but those first cards were shadowless. And what is interesting to me is so you said that the second printing of the shadowless were an error card. Do you know <laughs> about those those first first shadowless cards? Are they like a kind of like a test run? You know, it's so interesting that you say that, um, and I am very aware of that. And maybe that went into so. And and let me be speak clear. When I say error, what I mean is I'm speaking more in terms of the intentionality of it, mm. not in terms of oh we screwed up on the printing presses. Mm -hmm. So so let me let me retract a little bit and say, and so let's just say, let's just carve error up and say that there's an error where it's like oops. You know, we we screwed up, and that there that should have never occurred. And then there's an error where there's like, in the grand scheme of things, in the grand plan, this was not on our chart. There was mm -hmm. never meant to be this on the chart, except for that one day where we were short on <laughs> printing, mm -hmm. and we just had to go with it. And I think. I think essentially that's really what has been expressed to me. Now, okay. it, it could very well be that in that moment where they were short and they weren't ready to move on to the unlimited yet, that they did go back and appeal to the prior um, uh, design that was reflected in the demo game packs, mm -hmm. um, which I am very familiar with. And it's interesting because when you open up those demo game packs, um, otherwise you can't really determine the difference between those cards and the traditional cards, right? Like there's nothing on the cards themselves or is there something on the card itself that says demo? Um, I, I don't know that there is um, like something specific, like saying yeah. demo. No, I, like, like I'll no. throw this at you. Like I'll throw this at you. Like one of the things that I really love and I've collected deep into mm -hmm. is trainer deck A and B. Mm -hmm. which which was sent to card shops really to help train consumers early on in the run of Pokemon. And those have the red back and it literally says trainer deck. I mean, it's it, they're really, really cool and they're super identifiable in mm -hmm. terms of art and they're super duper rare. I think the thing that stood in the way of the demo game is that the cards are not necessarily identifiable other than the fact that they're shadowless. Yeah. And yeah. they should like if they if they only had put like a little something, a dot, even a dot, even mm -hmm. a little boop, that would have like been enough. And um, it would have become a holy grail. <laughs> it would have <laughs> really. Been but instead, what's really valuable is the pack itself that says demo mm -hmm. game. That like don't open that. Like that, I think that's really the <laughs> I think that's really like that's really the big takeaway. 
Mm-hmm. But you know, like, so it's something I, I didn't really study a lot, but in the demo game pack, did they reflect every single card in the Pokemon universe or was it limited? Um, no, it was limited and you can actually get a, a, a card list of the cards that would come in those packs. Um, so it was a whole bunch of commons and uncommons really like Do Duo. Um, that's where you would get a, I believe it was a Red Cheeks Pikachu um, and just a few oh. other common cards. Uh, but when you saw the hollows, that was in the second printing of the full set right. of, of hollows, rares, all of them, trainers. I, I think maybe some trainer cards were in there as well, but. Well, I feel like, I honestly feel like I'm becoming more educated on this wonderful, on this wonderful uh, interview, because I really have spent very little time focused on the original um you know, I would say demo game. Um, with that said, um, I still believe, based on the conversations I've had, that that shadowless drop-in was not an intentional thing. And because of that, that the when I say that, I mean like it wasn't in the grand scheme of things. Mm-hmm. And 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 I and I know that every, I know that we all use like ten percent as the as a standard or a rule of thumb. I I just don't believe that it was a specific percentage. Because remember, like even the name Unlimited came from somewhere. When, when you have something that's really locked in at 10%, mm-hmm. it means that the grander value also had sort of a precognitive, you know, there was a precognition in terms of the number mm-hmm. they'd be selling of that. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, 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 my instinct is that it's much smaller than that. And, the other thing to consider too that I feel makes Shadowless especially valuable, other than all the reasons that we've given, which are completely valid, base set is only set with Shadowless. Wow. Only one, only one. So you know, I, th- that's what. So that's what I'm saying. I, I'm hoping that with more market education, we might start to see a shift because naturally people want the rarest stuff. And if, and if so many people have, like for me, I have a particular, you know, connection to the Kanto region, collectors are going to just flock to it. And then all of a sudden we'll see, you know, I but so. I have a question for you. Yeah. This is an interactive interview. Okay. Because I've identified just how freaking knowledgeable you are and it's wonderful. So here's the interactive <laughs> component. Yeah. Why do you think that the trainer deck cards aren't some of the most valuable cards within the Pokemon universe? I feel like it's got to come down to the same thing, right? Because when I was a kid, I, I feel like um, I never had any of the trainer deck cards or I never had those. Um, I, I don't know how limited the printings were, but I wonder if it's the same thing because when I talk to people who used to collect when they were kids, they never had the training card decks. Um, So, so in a sense, then just from an economic principle, mm -hmm. something can be too rare. If something, and, and Mm. that's, and that, and that's an element that, you know, sometimes I'll talk to people about because, you know, like you'll often hear, oh my gosh, that has a population of 20. It must be amazing. Well, sometimes, you know, one thing we talked about brands, we talked about emotional connectedness, Mm -hmm. aspirational elements, right? And then the collectible platform. Well, you kind of lack an emotional connectedness 
to certain things that you were not necessarily engaging with early. Mm -hmm. But my working theory is that over time, when you're, when you're exposed to things, you start to establish an emo emotional connectedness. Mm -hmm. So I, I personally believe that the trainer deck cards, the trainer deck A and B cards will be some of the greatest ascent or rapid acceleration cards, primarily because they're, they, they are really that very early Pokemon cards from that very earliest time. But secondly, um, I think people are more aware of them now than ever before. Mm -hmm. And, and that, yeah. may, that also probably will occur with the demo packs over time, which, by the way, I, I've seen go up in value pretty significantly. Yeah, they're, I'm definitely priced out. It makes me sad because, like, that is my entire theory. I'm like, if there's anything that I could get right now, it would be that sealed product. I mean, just hands down. Um, because... I mean, unless PSA is willing to grade the cards inside as like demo starter pack, um, yeah. which they have to be willing to do that, right? The pack will always be worth more sealed. That's right. So that's right. And by the way, I if I were PSA, I wouldn't distinguish the difference because how could you possibly know? I mean, the only way to know is like literally opening the pack right there at PSA pulling the cards out and saying that these demonstrably came from, and then yeah. they're, they're exactly the same card. Mm -hmm. So listen, if we could go back and re-engineer this 22 years ago, or, you know, we would, <laughs> but, uh, but this is what we're dealing with. This is what we're left with. Um, I, I often wondered as well, like the no rarity symbol versus the mm. traditional 1996 trading card game. I often wonder if that was purposeful. I mean, it, it could have been because you see that with the Magic the Gathering 1993 cards where there's very little that distinguishes the alpha from the traditional release. And it could very well be that it was purposeful. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we, we don't know. Gosh, we need some, we need some answers. I'm, I'm going to try to find these answers. <laughs> yes, yes. But, it be a life's but, quest. <laughs> well, you know, I can kind of make this my, this kind of leads into another thing that can be kind of like, I want to be respectful of your time, but this can be like the last question I sort of have for you, which okay. I, I would really love to get your take on, you know, talking about what gets officially graded and what doesn't get officially graded. Okay. Sure. What are your thoughts on pedigrees in trading cards? And, and I bring this up because, you know, with Logan's box breaks, PSA for all the PSA tens, they're now getting that little Logan's break. Um, yeah. Even with Steve Aoki with his his illustrator card, it it says Aoki collection on there. I, I love that they're starting to incorporate that concept yeah. of pedigrees. I mean, even with CGC, yeah. um, you can pay to get something put on there. Um, do you think that it'll become a mainstream thing? Like if Gary Haas were to just send all of his cards in to get relabeled with you know, Gary's Charizard or something like that. Yeah. I mean, how could that change collecting in your perspective? Well, you know, so one little detail is that this is, it, it's actually not new for PSA to do this. They've been actually doing this for quite some time. Oh, okay. It, it's just been very rare. So mm -hmm. if you look at the 1952 Mickey Mantle PSA 10 tops card, there's only like three in the world. Mm -hmm. And each one of them is labeled from the collection that they're in. And I believe that they've mm -hmm. been labeled that way for a long time. So 
if I look it up, for instance, here, as we talk, 1952 tops, PSA 10, Mickey Mantle. So if I look that card up and I hopefully do these things more efficiently, but <laughs> it says on that card, one says the D-backs collection, the D-B-A-C-K-S collection. Mm -hmm. And because the owner of that particular card is the owner of the Diamondbacks, the, oh, okay. the team. And I believe that if you look at, I, I believe that the Honus Wagner Gretzky card mm -hmm. um, says Gretzky on it, but I don't, I don't remember. Let me see, Honus Wagner Gretzky card. So that one, um, I don't know. Maybe oh, it, it says Wagner Estate is what I'm seeing. Wait, uh, no. Well, so I guess the point is, without without me necessarily finding that one right off the bat. Oh wait, here it is. Ratner, Gammon, Haber, Green. So yeah, like here's one that's a PSA one that has the four owners' names on it. Mm -hmm. So what PSA has done historically is, if there's an extremely relevant card, really really relevant to collecting, and they're trying to kind of track or trace. Mm -hmm. And they'll allow like a collection to name that card under their collection. The difference that's happening now is it seems like there's more of a promotional bent to it and not necessarily a historically relevant bent. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that if they do it, they should do it. They should do it very rarely because mm -hmm. I think if you do it too often, it starts to clutter the field a bit, you mm -hmm. know, knowing but, but in collectibles in general, provenance does mean something. Mm -hmm. So if, if you know that this box, this flesh and blood box that we, that, we, oh, that we showed a few minutes ago, if you know that that box was originally owned by one particular owner and that I then owned it for 22 years and it's the mm -hmm. year 2042, it may be a little bit more valuable to know that it's been in my house because you've got a pretty good idea that I'm not going to be opening it up and messing with the cards. Right. You know? That's significant. So, you, you, you know, you just never, I, there's, there's value to it. My hope is that they would just make it, make it be very relevant when they do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree. I, I think you bring up a lot of good points. Um, and, and I guess I hope that we start to have more, stories that are like collecting stories that are just you know really valuable and very I don't want to say entertaining to like diminish the story but just a very entertaining really great collectible story where we can start incorporating that because I mean um I, you know I can't even think of the name of the pedigree uh but the 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 pedigree in comics where it was a young Japanese American girl who collected it through World War II was in an internment camp and all of her comic books were in very good condition. I mean, that is an amazing collecting story. Oh, wow. Um, I don't even know that one. That's, I, is there a book about that or something? Like, uh, there is. Um, let me look it up. Pedigree Comics, um, Japanese American Girl. So um, back in the time of World War II, it's, it's the Okajima uh, pedigree. Very interesting. A young little girl was collecting comic books, was sent to an internment camp, kept the comic books in good condition, um, had them throughout World War II. Um, I, wow. I don't know what happened 
to her specifically when she passed, but she had the collection up and through the 60s. And the, so the Okajima collection is very incredibly famous. She kept it in such good condition. And those are just really amazing stories that I, I hope that with pedigrees we can, you know, preserve within Pokemon because I think other than the fact that the demand for Pokemon has been absolutely insane, you know, it's all in a class of its own at this point, but to push it even further from that perspective, um, you know. Yeah, I can see, I can totally see that. I think, I think that if it did come to the point where everyone could personalize their cards, then it would get a little bit overkill. It would be mm -hmm. a little much. Mm -hmm. There, there, there would have to be, and and then you, then it leads to hurt feelings, because you know some people might feel like they, you know, look, I've been with this from the very beginning. Of course, my name should be on the label or whatever. Mm -hmm. so <laughs> it, it, I don't know where the fine line is, but I mm -hmm. definitely can definitely see like, a, a, a that story of the lady that was an internment camp that kept her comic books in perfect mint condition and maintained those comic books throughout her life. And then uh, that's a beautiful story. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, enca encapsulating that with a, with a pedigree or a brand um, to me, I would rather own, if I, if there were two comic books, both graded 9.2, one came from that collection. I would 100% pay a premium for that. There's no mm -hmm. doubt in my mind. Mm -hmm. no. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, I would, I would do the same. <laughs> No, no doubt, which, which it, it just makes it so much more fun just as a, as collecting. I was, I, you had shared a, an article, um, on your Instagram. I can't remember the author now, but talking about the sports immortal collection, I was like, I had no oh idea it existed. It's insane. The stories were amazing. And just like, especially the, the story and how he got, uh, the Jim Thorpe, um, memorabilia, oh. which amazing. It, it was just so crazy, but th those are, see, that's what makes collecting so much fun just to hear how other collectors got these priceless. I mean, honestly, those are priceless um, pieces of memorabilia. It's, that's what makes it so much fun. <laughs> yeah, it, it's incredible. I mean, essentially as collectors, the one thing that we all have to realize is that we are only caretakers mm -hmm. because these things will outlive us and will be passed on and on and on. We are just we're just part of the tapestry of caretakers for anything mm -hmm. that we own. Um, and so because of that, you know, it really does connect people within our world even more. It's one of the reasons why I found, you know, knock on wood, but I've found collectors to be very, you know, more transactional and more inclusive than most groups. Like, like when it comes to, you know, uh culture, race, gender, body type, ability, whatever it may be, like I've never heard anyone ask or even be concerned. What they're mostly interested in is what what did they collect? Like what were they into? Like mm -hmm. and that that's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing and I and I and I I really think that that's a very transactionally minded behavior. It's it's very pragmatic. It's very much about what what happened and what did you do, and not necessarily about who you are or or what you were availed of. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. I really like that. So, mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I it 
and it goes back to the self-expression, you know, yeah. aspect of it. It is expressing, you know, oneself. So, you know, once we get to the point with Pokemon where it becomes a generational uh, thing that's passed down, um, kind of like how it will be, it is right now with sports cards, you know, it just those tokens of someone that something, you know, something that someone cherished, I think is, makes it more valuable in, yes. in many ways. So, yes. yeah. So maybe that's another reason why we need to, you know, commemorate who owns certain things just mm -hmm. so that we, can, we can embrace not just the brand, but the people that love the brand over time. Mm -hmm. I couldn't agree more. I, I, I'm with you on that. So it makes it very fun, but um, anyways, I know we've hit two o'clock. I want to be respectful of your time. I know you're busy. If, if you let me, I would ask you questions for hours. And so I, I just need to kind of stop myself. Um, so, so I guess, I don't know if you wanted to leave, uh, with any parting words, or if you wanted to let everyone know how they could find you so that we can all follow your accounts. Um, oh, sure. Well, on a personal level, um, probably the easiest way to find me is at Jeremy Pidauer on Instagram at Jeremy Padauer, P-A-D-A-W-E-R, um, where I talk all about collecting in general and collecting for value and investment grade collecting. But also um, our company is at Jazzwares, J-A-Z-W-A-R-E-S. And we are one of the largest toy makers in the world, which is amazing to say, because uh, that wasn't the case uh, 10 years ago uh, for any of these organizations. And, um, you know, my parting word would just be, um, you know, it, there's a lot that you can do with your life. Um, you don't have to be the NFL head coach of a football team to express your love for the NFL. You don't have to be the president of Pokemon to be engaged with the brand. Um, but what I would suggest and what I always suggest to people is with their investments, and with their time and with their passions, always plug into the things that you love, even if it's just like 5% of the time, even mm -hmm. if it's only 5% of your portfolio, even if it's only 5%, because it's the difference of having a little, you know, a little bit of light versus none in the mm -hmm. thing that you're doing. So if you're investing and you don't love anything that's in your investing portfolio, I just don't know how drawn you can be to really watching it to the level that you could over time. And, mm -hmm. you know, with your career, you could be doing something that you don't love as a career, but you could also have an eBay store on the side. And maybe that only takes up 7% of your time, but that's part of your life now. That's part of your pro professional portfolio of things that you do. And, and that's my big message is that, mm -hmm. You don't have to be 100% passionate about everything that you do, as long as you have a little bit of percentage in your life dedicated to that, and it will make a world of difference in your in your overall outlook. That's really amazing. I like that. I, I mean, I, I couldn't agree with you more. It's so much fun to talk about Pokemon. <laughs> 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 you got to get Pokemon cards, find people to talk to them about. It, it makes it so much fun. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Well, thank you so much again. I really appreciate your time. Um, couldn't thank you enough. And if you would let me, I can actually send you one of these t-shirts. If you let me know your size, I'll, I'll email you and I'll send one over. So I'm an extra, I'm an extra medium. <laughs> <laughs>
Okay, sounds good. I got you. So no, uh, no schmedium? No schmedium. No, I, I was a schmedium at the beginning of COVID, but now I'm a medium plus. <laughs> but it won't be long and I'll be back to schmedium. But uh, yeah, COVID, COVID has been a uh, quite an eating, it's been my, it's been my, uh, my eat fest for a year. I've been going uh, carb crazy. Look, I, I can't I can't disagree with you. I'm, I'm, I'm same same boat. <laughs> so, but anyways, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. I hope you have a great rest of your day. So. Thank you. Thank you. So good to see you.